And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's the conclusion to February McGee and Molly starring Jim and Marion Jordan. Then we'll learn many things from the one who walks by night on The Whistler from 1948. And by my side is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. By my side. Right here, Lisa Wolf. I wonder if there's a song we can write for that. Yeah, Mike can do it. Like a theme. Mike can do anything. Like like, uh, my Lisa Wolf at my side. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's good. I, I that's, think it's good. I'm on. It's got a I got nice a, tune there. I think it could win a, a Grammy. It's got some good I notes really, in it. I really do think so. It's got some good nu- nuts in it. Is that what you said? No, I said notes. Oh, no. Oh, I thought you said nuts. Because no. I'm a little nuts, you know? I mean, you've worked with me long enough to know I'm a little nuts. No comment. No comment. All right. So um, what's happening in the world of Hollywood, Lisa? Well, Seth MacFarlane Mm -hmm. is going to star in and executive produce a new live action sci-fi dramedy series for Fox. Mm. So the Family Guy creator, amongst other things, um, has landed a straight to series order for a new futuristic comedy um, for the 2017-18 season. It's untitled as of yet, and it is set 300 years in in the future, just <laughs> just a few years ahead, um, it's going to be a one-hour show. And it do you fo- think we'll still have our radio show going at that time? In three hundred years from now, yeah. I'm counting on it. Yeah, maybe our like grandkids' grandkids will be uh, doing grandkids, it. Grandkids, grandkids, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Um, it will follow the adventures of Orville, which is an exploratory ship in Earth's interstellar fleet. Right. So it's it's pretty exciting just because Seth MacFarlane, pretty yeah. much anything he touches turns to gold. Yeah. This is his first live action role mm-hmm. in a TV series and his first live action series. I wonder if it takes place on Uranus. <laughs> I can't discuss that on the radio. Oh, okay. It just, just goes wondering. down the wrong path. Yeah. So I'm trying to keep things clean here. All right. Okay. Very good. I think I'm going to watch that show. Me Anything too. with Seth MacFarlane I I'm like. I'm with you Especially on that. if it takes place on Uranus. I, okay. I'm with you on that, too. All righty. It's time now for the conclusion to Fibber McGee and Molly. Let's go back to November 28th, 1939 for the finance company on Fibber McGee and Molly. Imagine up here, director in the finance company. Yes. Wait a minute, McGee. Yes. It's that collector again. Hmm. Persistent cuss, ain't he? Maybe if we still... Anybody at home in there? Shall we answer him, dearie? Uh, I'll disguise my voice, Molly, and fool him. I say, anybody at home? Why, sure. But there's only just me and Lum sitting here. (laughs) Uh, Thanks, anyway. Well, it worked, dearie. He's walking away, shaking his head. Wow. Heavenly days, you almost fooled me, too. <laughs> I did, You eh? certainly did. <laughs> I never knew you could imitate Amos and Andy like that. <laughs> what do you mean, Amos and Andy? That was Lum and Abner. Don't you know Lum and Abner? Oh, dear, he's back again. Wait till I peek out, baby. Yes, it's him. 
Hey, what's that, an echo? Or has he got a guy working the back door, too? <laughs> We're surrounded, McGee. Looks like it. Well, as the handkerchief said, as it climbed off the sewing machine, darn it, I'm hemmed in. <laughs> Well, hello there, folks. I knocked at the back door, but I guess you didn't hear me, so I walked right in. Why, yeah, hello, Mr. Wilcox. So that was you at the back door. We thought it was another guy from the finance company. Finance company? <laughs> yes, you see, we forgot to make a couple of payments on the car, and there's been a man trying to serve a paper on us. Oh, gee, that's tough. Well, maybe he'll go away after a while. Them guys never go away. That's part of their training. They love to sit on your laps if they can find one in your payments. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, you can't blame him. He's only doing his duty. Huh? Just the same as it's the duty of the Johnson's wax people to have every linoleum floor in America protected and beautified with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat. That's very true, Mr. Wilcox. Right. Won't you tell us more about what Johnson's glow coat will do for floors and linoleum, Mr. Wilcox? Oh, you've heard it. Oh, do tell us again. I never get tired of it, Harlow. <laughs> and I love that part where you strike an attitude of repose and talk about no rubbing and buffing. <laughs> Gee, do you really? Oh, it kills me. <laughs> you mean, you mean where I remind people that no matter how much they use their linoleum floors, they can keep them beautiful and protected with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat? So easy? No work to it? Just apply to the clean floor, spread it around, and in 20 minutes it's shining like new? That's it. No wonder you sell so much Johnson's glow coat, Mr. Wilcox. You're so sincere. Hey, now, wait a minute, Molly. I'm the guy that really sells Johnson's glow coat. How do you figure that? Well, take a look at this wire I got from the shipping clerk at Racine. He says... We shipped so much Johnson's glow coat last month, we used 100,000 extra fiber shipping cases. Unquote. Probably got my picture on every case, too. That's the real secret. Yeah, let me see that wire. Okay, bud. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> That's different. What you mean? Why, it doesn't say fiber cases. It says fiber. Oh, my. Well, I'll see you later, folks. <laughs> Say, how long are we going to have to stay locked up in here, McGee? I feel like a bird in a gilded coop. Search me till I can get down and make them payments down to the finance company, I guess. Uh Uh-oh, now he's at the window. I'm getting so afraid, afraid to even turn on a faucet in this house. I'm scared he'll come running out of the pipe. Oh, that isn't the man from the finance company, dearie. That's Mr. Boomer. What's he doing at the window? the idea, Mr. Boomer? Quiet, my dear, quiet. Huh? Just dropped by to tell you there's a finance company, Flatfoot, haunting the premises. <laughs> Much obliged, Boomer, but we knew it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Well, just thought I'd warn you, Fudgeface. Anybody that's an enemy of a bill collector is a friend of mine. What seems to be your difficulty? Oh, we slipped up on our car payments, Mr. Boomer, and they're trying to serve us some kind of a paper. Is that so? Very distressing, I'm sure. If you want the address of a good lawyer, I can recommend mine. Has very cool head. Probably because he's a little on the shady side. <laughs> yes. Well, it might come in handy at that, dearie. Who is your lawyer, Mr. Boomer? There's uh, a chap by the name of... Uh, now, let me see. Uh, I have his name and address right here in my notebook. Now, where did I put that notebook? Notebook, notebook, notebook. Oh, sure. Let's see now. Uh, here's a letter from my sister, Sophronia. Energetic little rascal. Says she's got her Christmas shoplifting all finished. <laughs> Small acetylene torch. Sort of a financial can opener, you might say. <laughs> yes, you might say it. I'm sorry I did. Yes, indeed. Large unset diamond. 
belonged to a girlfriend of mine. She ran out and left me holding the baguette. <laughs> Postcard from a friend of mine who had to leave the state for his health. Poor lad. He was so weak he couldn't even wave his extradition. <clears throat> and a check for a short beer. Well, well, imagine that. No notebook. Wonder what I could have done with it. Well, no matter. I'll see him at the police station tomorrow morning. You got a case coming up in the morning, Boomer? I don't know. Depends on what luck I have tonight. Well, good day, my dear. Good day, Flytrap. <laughs> Why should we barricade ourselves in here? We're not criminals. Let them attach our old car. What do we care? What? Take that car after I spent five Sunday afternoons putting in new piston rings? No, sir. I don't... Uh-oh. Oh, look, dearie. He's slipping the paper under the door. Oh, he is, is he? <laughs> Can't catch me that easy. I'll shove it right back at him. <laughs> Peek out and see what he's doing now, Molly. He's putting the paper back in his pocket. Which pocket? Now he's scratching his head. Scratching his head. Now he's shrugging his shoulders. Shoulders. He doesn't seem to understand hmm. it. Of course he don't understand it. Probably the first time he's run up against a guy that knows his rights. Well, legal rights or no legal rights, McGee, I've had enough of this. Huh? You can come with me or not, but I'm going to make a break for what it. What do you mean? I'm going to drive down to the finance company and tell him all about it. Oh, now, Molly, you Are can't... you coming with me or not? Well, all right. Come on. But the minute we get outside the back door, run for the garage. Hope that guy don't suspect we run out the back door. Whoa! Oh. <laughs> out of the way there, little girl. Hi, mister. Gee, I've been waiting for you, I betcha. Well, that's very flattering, I'm sure, but I ain't got time right now for any... Oh, gee. I wanted to ask you a question, I betcha. I'm sorry. Some other time, sis. Besides, why pick on me? Well, everybody says you're a great guy. Oh. And wise, too. <laughs> oh, they did, eh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, who said that, sis? Oh, gee, everybody. Oh, is that so? They all say you're the greatest wise guy in town. <laughs> are you, mister? Who are you? Listen, sis, for the last time, run along and play and don't bother me anymore. Oh, I bet you you couldn't answer the question anyway, I bet you. Oh, yes, I could. Oh, no, you couldn't. Oh, yes, I could. Oh, no, you couldn't. Oh, yes. Seventy days, McGee. Come on, we'll get caught. Wait a minute, Molly. I want to settle this. What was the question, sis? Well, what does pretext mean, hmm? Pretext? Well, that <laughs> means when you're pretending to do something you ain't. It's, it's pretending. Oh, that may not be Webster's definition, but it'll do. Oh, who's Webster? <laughs> He's the guy that wrote the dictionary. Gee, did he make up all those words? <laughs> no, he didn't. Who did? <clears throat> Nobody. Everybody. Dad Rabbit, how should I know? Hmm? Say, what is this? Anyway, where'd you hear that word pretext? From my daddy. I'm holding you under any. You're holding me under any? Any what? Any pretext. That's what he told me to do. Oh, there's my daddy now. Oh, boy, that guy from the finance company. Hey, daddy, I did it. I held him under any pretext. Oh, good for you, dear. Heavenly day. Well, I'll be a... It was a frame-up, that's what it was. No, it wasn't, I betcha. I got a quarter for it. So long, mister. <laughs> All, uh... Now, you, Mr. McGee... Yes? 
I suppose so. I'm Mr. Perkins from the Wistful Vista Finance Company. I've been trying to get in touch with you all day. Oh, no, really? Oh, okay, bud. Okay, bud, you got me. Let's get it over with. Mr. McGee, my father was credit manager of this finance company when you bought your car. Of course, that was before my time. Never mind the sentiment, bud. Get, just get to the point. Well, as I was saying, since then, a new generation has taken over. I have my father's old job, and in checking through the records, I find... Yes, yes, we know. You find that we're three months in arrears, so you're taking the car. Well, go ahead and take... Oh, no, no, I have a check here for you. I tried to slip it under your door, but some darn fool shoved it right back. <laughs> a check? What for? Mr. McGee, you finished paying for your car seven months ago. What? Yes, this check is a refund. Why, you mean, you mean the car's all paid for? We got money coming back? The car's all clear? Absolutely. Hot dog. Did you hear that, Molly? Ain't that wonderful? Now we can, now we can borrow some more money on it. Folks, you've just heard our 225th broadcast for Johnson's Wax. And on this occasion, we would like to pay tribute to... Uh, hey, Molly, who can we pay tribute to? Why, uh, I don't know, McGee. You don't? Well, uh, well, well, imagine that. No tribute. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. <laughs> This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, Racine, Wisconsin, inviting you all to join us again next Tuesday night at this same time. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's Faber, McGee, and Molly going back to November 28th, 1939 for Dodging the Finance Company, starring Jim and Marianne Jordan. You know, they played Fibber McGee and Molly a long time on Radio Lisa. I mean, they were on like 20-something years. I think that's how long we're going to be doing yeah. COVID-360. And when they uh, when the series moved to television, they didn't really want to play the parts on TV, so they hired new actors for the TV show. It went nowhere. I mean, Fibber McGee and Molly is a testament to the theater of the mind, right? These kooky characters that came in and were neighbors of uh, Fibber McGee and Molly, you know, uh, the old-timer and, you know, the Mayor Latrivia. It couldn't be done on television in the same way it could be done on radio, and so guess what? It didn't work on television. But um, great series. Fibber, you know, one of the best series of all of the uh, comedy uh, comedy shows. In this cast, Harold Perry as the great Gildersleeve. Of course, he spun off into his own show years later. Bill Thompson. Isabel Randolph, who was wonderful, did a lot of uh, voiceover work. And Frank Nelson, who also did a lot of voiceover work. Harlow Wilcox, there's that name, Harlow. I think if I ever have another son, I'm going to name him Harlow. If you have another son, I'll, I don't you'll, think you'll that. shoot me. I was just thinking that. Right. I was just trying to be diplomatic. Sponsored <laughs> by Johnson's Wax, is heard on NBC. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Well, the- Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. 
This theory is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com and receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari. want to remind you that we have a website that has a podcast of this show. Don't miss it. You can get all of our podcasts on our website, which is Hollywood360radio.com. We put the newest, latest, and greatest podcast up every Monday. So just go to Hollywood360radio.com. Check that out. All right, time now for The Whistler. Let's go back to August 4th, 1948, for A Question of Murder, starring Bill Foreman as The Whistler. This is a terrific show. You're going to love it. Here's part one now of The Whistler. And now for the radio program that has rated tops in popularity for a longer period of time than any other West Coast program. The mystery program that is unique among all mystery programs. And I'll tell you why. It's because you know who's guilty. You see his every move. You know his complete plans, even his innermost thoughts. Yet the final curtain always brings a startling surprise. In the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. That whistle is your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. I am The Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. Yes, friends, it's The Whistler for the tops in entertainment. And for the Dobson gasoline quality, it's Signal. It takes extra quality, you know, to give you extra mileage. And Signal is the famous go-farther gasoline. So look for the Signal circle sign in yellow and black that identifies friendly independent Signal stations from Canada to Mexico. And now the Whistler's strange story. A question of murder. The terrible truth underlying it all didn't come to Carol Randolph as a bolt out of the blue. Rather, it came slowly like the gathering of a summer storm. In the beginning, there was only a gentle rustling, like the movement of the leaves before a wind, more to be sensed than actually seen. Later, there were other signs more threatening, more violent, and at last the storm broke in all its fury. But that was later. It began that first day after the honeymoon when they came back to the old house that held so many memories for Ted. Carol paused, smiling at the threshold, wondering if he would observe the sentimental custom of carrying her across. And he did. (laughs) Oh, darling. But when he'd set her down again, somehow she realized that it had been a mistake. Ted, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring up memories. No, no. Forget it, Carol. Oh, we can't entirely, Ted. But she'll never stand in our way, darling. I promise I, I said forget it. 
I mean, she's dead and gone. And, and if anything about this house makes you unhappy, I, I, I'll tear it down brick by brick. Yes, in the beginning, it was only something to be sensed. And Carol did try to forget it. But there was no denying that the house seemed to change Ted somehow. The house and the people in it. Even old Mrs. Carter, who had been with Ted's family for so many years, seemed to have a strange reserve about her. A veil something behind the surface of cordiality. It's a pleasure to welcome you here, Carol. I'm sure Ted will be happier now. Thank you. He's told me so much about you, Mrs. Carter. I practically raised him. Then, after his father died and he and Francis came here... Oh, I'm sorry. It's all right, Mrs. Carter. I don't mind talking about Francis, if you want to. Oh, but I don't. It would be best Mrs. if... Mrs. Carter. Oh, hello, Ted. We were just getting acquainted. Hello, with... darling. I, uh, I thought maybe you might want to look around the grounds, Carol. Hmm, I'd love to. You'll excuse us, Mrs. Carter? Of course. I've got my work to do. Oh, did Gillis unpack your things? Gillis? But I told... Oh, I, I meant to talk to you about that, Ted. Later? Uh, yes, yes, of course, Carol. <clears throat> Come along, please, Carol. Now, how about the rose garden first, huh? Fine. Ted. Yes, darling? What was that about Gillis? Oh, why, nothing, Carol. Nothing for you to worry about. Now, uh, let's look at the ground, shall we? Oh. Yes, darling, of course. Good evening, madame. Oh, hello. You must be Gillis. Yes. I didn't get a chance to thank you for putting everything away for me. I appreciate it, Gillis. It's what I'm supposed to do, madame. Uh, do you want both windows open, madame? Oh, uh, just that one is fine. Gillis. That's an unusual name. My name is really Marie, madame. She always called me Gillis. Said it sounded more continental-like. The first Mrs. Randall? That's right. Oh, I'm sorry, madame. I didn't Gillis, mean... let's understand each other. I'm not sensitive about Ted's having been married before. You don't have to feel strange around me. I'm sure we're going to get along just fine. Oh, then you've spoken to Mr. Randolph about me? Spoken to him? Yes. You see, he said that I should be let go. Oh? Mrs. Carter says it's because I talk too much. I don't mean to. Words don't come too easy for me, madame. The right ones, I mean. And when they asked me all those questions at the inquest, Mr. Randolph didn't the like... Inquest? Gillis, you don't mean inquest. They only hold an inquest when there's something strange about a death. I know, madame. And there certainly was something strange about... Gillis. Yes, madame? You may go now. I won't need anything further. Yes, madame. And that's the first portion of The Whistler with a question of murder from 1948. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on Hollywood 360. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now, let's get back to A Question of Murder, starring Bill Foreman as The Whistler. Yes, Carol, it all began slowly. 
But as you watch Gillis shuffle off down the hall, you're conscious of a chill in the air. And in spite of yourself, you shudder slightly before you're able to push it out of your mind and go downstairs to join Ted. But by the following evening, the whole incident is forgotten. As you and Ted entertain Dave Arnold, one of his oldest friends. I never forget that one. (laughs) Oh, you two must really have had good times together. Good and bad, eh, Ted? Oh, that's right. (laughs) So I must say, you've always managed to get the things you wanted from life. Uh, That's a compliment, Carol, from an envious, dyed-in-the-wool bachelor. You shouldn't complain, Dave. There's certainly something you can do about that. Oh, no, no. Too busy with my career. Oh, well, Ted's in the district attorney's office, and he's found time for marriage. That's just it. Then, mine wants to get in. And you know, when these political machines get entrenched, they can get away with murder. Mm, you make it sound horrible. No defense, darling? Oh, we don't need one. We put our case up to the voters, remember? I certainly do. What we need is a Ted Randolph to run our campaign. Uh, I couldn't swing you over to our side, could I, Tim? <laughs> We can promise big things, too. No, I'm afraid not, Dave. Oh, I'll admit your candidate's all right, but I think our man's a little better. Well, nothing to do then but dig up some dirt in your past and smear you. Dave. I'm joking, Carol. Uh, Deadly business politics. Say, I've got to run. Uh, Big day for me tomorrow. Well, nice to have you again, Dave. Yes, and make it more often in the future, hmm? Uh, You've got a great deal. The dinner was wonderful. Good night, Ted. Good night. Thanks again. Good night. Anytime, Dave. Good night. (sighs) What? Everything all right? Oh, yes, sure. It's perfect. You know, I like him. Dave? Oh, he, he's all right. All right. I think he's charming. And he likes you. The way he hangs on every word when you're talking. Oh, yes. Just waiting for me to make a slip. A slip? Oh, Ted. Oh, why, does that surprise you? Surprise? Why, it shocks me. You're not serious. Look, darling, I love you, but sometimes you're a little naive. Why, Dave's an old friend, yes, but he's in the opposite political camp. Don't forget that. Why, he'd use anything to get us out of office. And he wasn't kidding when he said he'd smear me if he could. Ted, you must be exaggerating. Besides, what could he possibly find out about you? I, uh... Carol, I've got some work to do. Would would you excuse me for a while? Ted, wait. Yes? I've... I've been wanting to talk to you. Tell me... How did you and Francis get along? Why, we... we... we quarreled. Is that all? No. No, once upon a New Year's, there was a girl I met on a trip to St. Louis. A girl I'd known for a long time. After Francis died, I married her. And I love her very much. That's all that's important. Oh, Ted. Ted, you didn't ever quarrel with Francis about me. Is that what's worrying you? Why, of course not, darling. Now forget it, please. After that, you do try to forget, don't you, Carol? But it isn't that easy. When you go upstairs to your room, Gillis is there. You discover that she's not only talkative, but inquisitive, too. Worst of all... She asks a question that you can't answer. A startling question. Excuse me, madame. Will Mr. Ben ever come back? Who's Mr. Ben? Why, uh, Mr. Randolph's brother. Madame, you've never met him? Oh, oh, yes, yes, Ted's brother. I wondered if they had ever patched things up. It was a terrible argument they had, you know, the day she uh, 
the day Mrs. Randolph died. I'll never forget that shocking way to start a new year. And new year? Yeah, it was just a few days after. I remember Mr. Randolph had just come back from a trip from St. Louis. Oh, it was terrible, madame. They had a regular knockdown and drag out. She came came screaming for a divorce. Divorce? That's what they quarreled about. Mrs. Randolph said she should rather be dead than go on things being like they were. Poor woman. Little did she know that in less than 12 hours from then, she would be dead. What did you say, Gillis? When did she die? The very next morning. Early. Didn't you know, madame? It was... It was an accident. She started to fix her bath and slipped somehow. Tried to grab something to keep from falling and caught a loose wire from the electric heater. Oh, no. Yes. And I never have been able to understand how a bare wire could have come loose that way. Oh, it was terrible, madame. She was electrocuted on the spot. The gathering storm is closing in, isn't it, Carol? Like dark, warning clouds before the storm. You're sure now that Ted lied about the argument with Francis, his first wife. He told you it was nothing serious, didn't concern you. But from what Gillis has told you, you're certain the quarrel was over you. And that shortly afterwards, Francis was dead. It's a terrible knowledge you possess, isn't it? Because you don't know what to do about it. The next morning, you spend walking around the grounds, going over the whole nightmare in your mind. And then as you start back across the terrace to the house... Well, hello. Oh. You must be the new Mrs. Randolph, huh? I'm sorry, I don't believe we... No, my dear, we haven't met. But we're going to be real friends. (laughs) I'm Ben, Ted's brother. Oh, I'm sure he's told you all about Brother Ben. Oh, yes, yes, certainly. Ted's spoken of you so often, I... I did wonder when I was going to have the pleasure. <laughs> nice work, Mrs. Randolph. Uh, shall we go in the house? Carol? Oh, you have talked to Ted about me. Oh, frankly, no. I simply read in papers. I was going to run down here sooner, but I allowed time for you two to get back from the honeymoon. A few days to get settled. Well, after you, Carol. That's it. My, my. Place has been all redone, huh? Your ideas? Why, no. It was like this when I... Mrs. Carter, I'll bet. (laughs) Thinks of everything, that woman. Ted's always been her favorite. Yes, I know. I'm sure you'll want to say hello to Mrs. Carter. She's in the hall. Oh, Mrs. Carter... Oh, don't bother if she's busy. I really don't... Yes, Carol? I really wanted a few moments to talk to you. Yes, it's me. The prodigal, the black sheep, the... I'm sorry, Mr. Randolph, you can't stay. Mrs. Carter. I have my orders. But why? I'm the... Oh, so you haven't told her about me, Mrs. Carter. What a rascal I am, a stealer. Please, Mr. Randolph, don't make it unpleasant for me. I'm hired to do exactly... No, 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 old girl, don't get the blood temperature up. I'm not staying. (laughs) I have a perfectly satisfactory place to stay in town, the Marlboro. Nothing but the best. Uh, However, Mrs. Carter... Yes? Tell Ted I'll be dropping in, huh? Have to see him. Perhaps tomorrow night? I'll tell him. I intend to speak to Ted, too, Ben. You may come tonight if you wish. Oh, no, no. Always like to forewarn my brother. He's a planner, you know, Carol. He likes to know just what's going on. Exactly where he's going, dates, times, places. (laughs) You gotta let him think he's in the driver's seat. Haven't you found so? I'm discovering things that I didn't know. Oh, and your discoveries will be endless. I've got to admire the boy, though. You think he was the senior, huh? He's a regular little Napoleon teddy boy. 
The way he makes circumstances. Brilliant. Makes the circumstance? Yeah, you know. Plans. Fixes things. Even covers things up. Hey, Mrs. Carter? I'll show you out. <laughs> no, wait. Just a minute, Ben. Did Ted cover something up? Oh. He hasn't told you about the unusual circumstances of Francis's accident, huh? I guess he wouldn't. Well, tomorrow night. Get me in his date book, Mrs. Carter. I'll show you to the door. Don't bother. Good afternoon, all. Oh, the nerve. Uh, just a minute, Mrs. Carter. Yes, Carolyn? Mrs. Carter, I've... I found you very kind, very considerate since I came here. But I... I think I have a right to... I'm sorry, Carol. Really. But about Ben. Well, Ben isn't a nice person. He upsets Ted. All of us. Please, why not forget what happened? Enjoy your husband, Carol. Your beautiful home. Just don't puzzle and fret over things that are... That are dead and gone. I wish it were that simple, Mrs. Carter. Mr. Ben Randolph, please. Thank you. Yes? Ben, this is Carol. Uh, oh, yes. How sweet of you, Carol, to call me. Ben, I, I can't talk very long. I want to see you right away. Oh, I'm sorry, Carol. I have an appointment. But it's important, Ben. It's, it's terribly important. There's something I have to know about Francis' accident. Oh. So that's it. All right, Carol. I have a delightful cocktail bar here. I'll meet you in, say, uh, half an hour. That is, if you're sure you want to come. I am sure, Ben. Thank you. You are sure, aren't you, Carol? The time has passed when you can push your doubts away in a corner of your mind. You must know all the facts. And Ted's brother, Ben, seems to be the only one you can turn to. Twenty minutes later, you start across the lobby to the cocktail lounge. Carol, Carol, wait. Ted! Yes. Mrs. Carter called me. I... I'm sorry, Carol, but you mustn't meet him. She told you. She was spying on me. She heard me ask about Francis. No, no, no you're wrong. She just happened to hear you mention Ben's name, that's all. I, I, I guessed the rest. Carol, I... I don't want you to see him. And is there some reason why I shouldn't? No, Carol, only that... It, it won't do you any good. I... I'll have to ask you to go home. I'll deal with my brother, Ben... You turn and hurry away from Ted Driving home, your hands tremble holding the wheel By the time you reach the house and start inside A terrible sick feeling sweeps over you Your brain seems to pound miserably And as you start up the stairs, your legs grow weaker and weaker Until they give way beneath you When you awake, you find yourself in bed. Mrs. Carter is looking down at you, smiling her quiet, assured smile. Feeling better, Carol? Better? Why? I feel fine. Why did you put me to bed? I want to... fainted going up the stairs. I told Ted when he came home. He agrees with me that you should stay in bed for a while. Is there uh, anything you want me to bring you? No. No, nothing. Just leave me alone. 
It's a breathless moment now, isn't it, Carol? The quiet before the storm. You fight against the feeling that perhaps you're to be held prisoner. But as you hear Mrs. Carter's footsteps going down the stairs, you know you have to find out. You cross to the door, find it unlocked, and then tiptoe to the head of the stairs. And then you stop, frozen in your huh? tracks What's as that? Ted's voice drifts up oh, from the study. Dave Arnold, huh? Well, we expected him to do some snooping. Yeah, that's right, he was here to dinner, but... I know I didn't let anything slip. Well, Chief, if anything I've done should prevent you from being re-elected... Carol? No. All she knows is that Francis's death was an accident. I'm sure of it. I, I haven't told her anything else, and I, I don't intend to. Uh, and besides, Chief, she she won't be leaving the house for some time. She, uh, well, she isn't feeling very well. Yes, the storm has broken now, hasn't it, Carol? And the meaning of everything that's happened is clear to you. The man Ted was talking to was the district attorney. He knows the truth about Francis's death and is helping to cover it up. And then you remember what Dave Arnold said about entrenched political machines, that they can get away with murder. And from what Ted said on the phone, you know you're being held prisoner. But it's more than just you now, Carol. More than your happiness or your safety. There's a principle involved. A principle that affects thousands of people. And suddenly you realize only one man you know can do anything about it. Your husband's political enemy, Dave Arnold. You go back to your room, take a piece of paper from the desk and scrawl a hurried note. Then a few minutes later... You rang for me, madame? Yes, Gillis, here. I've, I've written a letter up. I want you to take it and mail it. A letter? Yes, madame. And, Gillis, it must be done right away. Don't let anything stop you. I won't, madame. Uh, hide it, Gillis. Hide the letter. Oh, Gillis. I didn't know you were in here. She, she was just leaving, Mrs. Carter. Thanks for looking in, Gillis, but I, I don't need anything. You may go. Yes, madame. Is there anything I can do for you, Carol? No, Mrs. Carter. There's nothing... Anyone can do for me. Right now. You can't fight the storm anymore, Carol. You're weary of it. Of thinking about Ted and the way Francis, his first wife, died. It was shortly after he saw you in St. Louis that she refused him a divorce. And it's all too clear to you what happened to her. It's an hour now since you gave Gillis the note for Dave, explaining everything. Suddenly you realize that you can't face Ted when it's over. You want to get away, take a train for another city and try somehow to forget. Put this terrible nightmare behind you. You dress quickly, slip out into the hall and tiptoe down the stairs. You wait until you can hear Mrs. Carter in another part of the house. And then run for the door. You're hurrying down the drive to the garage where your car is parked when... Well, we meet again, Carol. And just where I ran into you before. Ben. Oh, don't let me alarm you. Ted's furious enough with me as it is. I, uh, I came to apologize. He talked to you about me? Oh, he certainly did. Poor old Ted. His women give him a lot of trouble. Francis certainly led him a merry chase. In, uh, in another direction, of course. Francis? Yeah. 
First, she tried spending his money, and when that got boring, she, um, she started spending some of it on me. Well, that was pleasant for a while. You mean Francis was interested in you? Interested? <laughs> well, that's one way of putting it, yes. Tell me about her, Ben. All right. Well, she wanted to marry me. It, it scared me silly when I found out. Oh, we had our laughs together, sure, but marriage. Well, that's a little bit more than stealing your brother's slingshot, huh? You? You and, and, and Francis? That's why Ted asked her for a divorce. It wasn't me at all. What? Oh, he didn't ask her for a divorce, Carol. She asked him. Oh, they had a terrible row about it. But you know, Ted, he clings to that for better or worse idea. And then, too, there's his position, the, the election and all. They decided it wasn't the sort of thing to let that Dave Arnold crowd find out about and twist all out of shape. Her accident, then. What did happen? Well, don't say you got this from me now. But it's simple enough. Francis tried to kill Ted, Carol. She smeared the bathtub with soap, ran the electric heater wire along in the back of the towel rack. What? Yeah. She had it all set up for Ted. She hadn't planned on slipping, and instead of Ted grabbing it, she got it herself. <laughs> Really an accident, huh? Oh, and Ted protected her, kept it quiet. Well, it was as much for his boss as for her. The district attorney couldn't get any place with rumors floating around that one of his boys oh, was... Oh, Carol! Carol! Ted's voice calling from the house seems to bring your heart up into your throat. You move slowly along the drive, almost stumbling, the tears starting as you realize what you've done. That note you sent to Dave... It will ruin Ted, the district attorney, everything. You reach the terrace, stop, unable to go any farther. Carol? Mrs. Carter. You're feeling better, aren't you, dear? Mrs. Carter, I... I can't see Ted now. I... Yes, you can. Here. Please forgive a meddling old lady, Carol, but I took this letter from Gillis. You didn't really want it mailed, did you? The letter... Oh, oh, Mrs. Carter. Carol! Where are you, Carol? Your husband is calling, Mrs. Randolph. I think you should go to him. I have my work to do. That whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler, each Wednesday night at this same time. Brought to you by the Signal Oil Company, marketers of Signal gasoline and motor oil and fine quality automotive accessories. Featured in tonight's story were Lorette Philbrandt, Joseph Kearns, and Gerald Moore. The Whistler was produced and directed by George W. Allen, with story by Beth Barnes and music by Wilbur Hatch, and was transmitted to our troops overseas by the Armed Forces Radio Service. Remember, at this same time next Wednesday, another strange tale by The Whistler. This is Marvin Miller speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's The Whistler from August 4th, 1948, with a question of murder starring Bill Foreman as The Whistler. Also in the cast, Lorette Philbrandt, Joseph Kearns, and Gerald Moore. Gerald Moore, Lisa, played Philip Marlowe on radio. He was uh, 
the deep-voiced Philip Marlowe on radio, sponsored by Signal Oil, is heard on CBS. Let's take a break. Then it's more on Hollywood 360. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Are you a fan of classic radio? Shows like Abbott and Costello. What's the guy's name on first base? No, what is on second base? I'm not asking you who's on second. Who's on first? One base at a time. Gunsmoke. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Inner Sanctum. This is your host to welcome you in through the squeaking door. Fibber McGee and Molly. What day is this? Oh, no, let me see. This theory is our 15th wedding anniversary. And many more. As a thank you for listening to this show, we want to give you 10 of the best classic radio shows of all time absolutely free. Just log on to Hollywood360radio.com to get them today. You'll receive complete episodes of Sam Spade, Escape, Fibber McGee and Molly, Suspense, Abbott and Costello, Inner Sanctum, X-1, Gunsmoke, Our Miss Brooks, and Lights Out. Just log on to hollywood 360 Radio. And receive your 10 free classic radio shows today. That's Hollywood360Radio.com. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Lisa, I want to remind all of our listeners that we have a drawing every single month to give away a year's supply of Cat's Pride Kitty Litter. Cat's Pride is one of our sponsors. We're very uh, thankful and honored to be uh, associated with Cat's Pride. And you've probably seen the wonderful television commercials with Katherine Heigl as spokesperson for Cat's Pride, a terrific product. And if you have a cat, you would love, I'm sure, to have a year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter. Tell everyone how they can enter this drawing. All they need is a picture of their cat and send it to catspridephoto at gmail.com. We just need your name, your cat's name, your city and state. And every month, at the end of the month, one lucky winner will win an entire year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter. We do this every single month. So if you don't win this month, go ahead and send it in again, and you'll automatically be entered in for next month. All right. Very cool. All right. So what do they have to do? Send it where? To catspridephoto at gmail.com. I didn't hear you the frog. Yeah. Kinda, and you know what? I wasn't listening. I know you time. weren't. And this is their newest product. It's called Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Ultimate Care. It's in the green jug and it truly is a remarkable product. Um, it's lighter yet has the same absorbency. Right. And, it's half um, the weight. So when you're carrying that uh, jug to your car and then to your, from your car to your house, Half the weight, same amount of use. I was going use. to say that, but you just well, jumped right in but there. But you did a great job. Thanks. Of, uh, but we'd, we'd love to have your submissions, and it. we wish you the best of luck. All right. Send it in. We want to see your kitty cat. Okay. Next week, it's Richard Diamond, Private Detective, The Life of Riley, Nightbeat, The Screen Director's Playhouse, Archie Andrews, and Suspense. Great lineup next week. Make sure you join us. For my co-host, Lisa Wolf, executive producer, Mike Costella, engineer, Sam Wolf. Vince and Chris Lombardi, my crabby brother Vince Amari, Adam West, and me, Carl Amari. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Stay safe. We'll see you next time. To learn more about Hollywood 360 or to contact us, visit our website at Hollywood360Radio.com. Adam West speaking.